Welcome back to Masters of the Matrix. Today I am chatting with Christian de la Huerta, who is a spiritual teacher, critically acclaimed author, and inspirational speaker who has been featured on TEDx. His book, Awakening the Soul of Power, has garnered well-deserved attention from Grammy winner Gloria Estefan. He is also a facilitator of a healing modality called Soulful Breathwork. Welcome to the show, Christian. Hey, Greg. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolute pleasure. So what inspired you to write your book after all these years of, of being a spiritual teacher? Well, it's a, it's a good question. Um, two things, probably. One, I'm part of a, of a large um, family. I'm one of nine kids. And all of us within 12 years, my older sister when we were kids, she was like a natural born leader. Like she would boss around not only the nine of us, but the entire neighborhood of like 15 kids and not in a bad way. She'd just say, Hey, let's go do that. And and we'd all say, all right, let's all go do that. And uh, when she hit puberty, Greg, she turned that thing off. And I don't know to this day, whether somebody said something to her or whether she just picked it up from, you know, from culture through osmosis that little girls didn't behave that way. Um, but that always kind of stayed at the back of the, my mind. And the second thing that happened was about 10 years ago, I had submitted a, a book proposal to a literary agent that I was working with in New York. And she said, yeah, I'd love to work with you, but I want to see some of these marketing ideas implemented before we approach a publisher, which would have taken me probably a year to put them all into place. So for me, it was like, you know, putting on the brakes and it kind of sent me into a crisis for like a f two, three days um, as I pondered, right, what, what am I going to do if I'm not going to do this? And then I asked myself a question, like, what would I really want to write about if I weren't writing for that advance, uh, which I was already kind of spending in my mind? Um, and then it hit me, like about a month before I'd been sitting in meditation and for only the second time in my life, now it's happened three, but, but, but at that point, it was only the second time where I actually heard audible words, like sitting in meditation, you know, words that were not inside of my head. And, and the words were the soul of power. And so I came, I came up from meditation. I thought, oh, what an interesting thing. I don't even know what that means. Uh, but I got the URL and forgot about it. So a month later, when I was wondering... Uh, what to write and what to focus on next, it, it, it was one of those palm to the forehead kind of moments. Because for years, I've been saying that the single most important thing that needs to happen in the world is the empowerment of women. And, and it's not to idealize women or to put women up in a pedestal. Women also abuse power. Um, probably not as much and, and in more subtle ways, but they do, like, like all of us have done. It's because... As a world, as a species, we've been working so off balance, so off kilter, where it comes to the balance between the masculine and the feminine energies that course through all of us, just like they course through all of creation. And I believe that when women are in 50% of power in this world, and we're nowhere near close to that, that we're going to have a very different relationship to, to war and poverty and hunger education, social justice, how we treat the environment, all of it. And so it was like, all right, women's empowerment, soulful power is like, ah, interesting. How do we do that? How do we step into power in a way that's not this patriarchal power over my way or the highway, cowboy mentality uh, that, that depends on force or fear or control or domination or manipulation? How do we do it in a different way that is more power with uh, rather than power over? And here we are. I resonate very deeply with that, bringing that balance in. And I think it's pretty obvious when, you know, if you were to look at the world in an unbiased way, how unbalanced things are with the masculine and fem feminine, not only on the collective level, but like, as you said, with your, with your sister, you know, not being able to like feeling that she had to be shut down from speaking her, her truth. And it sounded like she was very good at it. And so that's yeah. kind of one thing I would I'd like to ask you about is, is, you know, I'm guessing it, you know, the question is basically with the timing of your book, 
And if that's what your book is about, I mean, there is no, no more important subject than bringing balance. Because I know myself, you know, you, I grew up as a sort of an athlete and, you know, left brain. But meanwhile, as a child, I was playing with like crystals and pyramids and <laughs> magnets. Like this is the stuff I really loved. But my dad was like, he gave me the childhood that he wanted. And so I was forced to play hockey and all these sports and everything. And, and everything does have a, a reason, I believe. But it sort of took away that, that magic, that, that creativeness that I had. And yeah. so now all these years later, I'm coming back into balance within myself and balancing that masculinity with my femininity. What are your thoughts on that? I, I think it's such a profound um, thought that you just shared with us because it, if we expect to find that balance out on the world, it has to start within each one of us. And you're right. I mean, all, all of the problems that we're facing, they you can draw back to that patriarchal power over right so whether it's invading a country that that we have no business invading or anybody has any business invading or even the pandemic you know it's it's a symptom of this exploitative um i was going to say something else but i don't know if i can use the f word the f bomb on this uh, on your podcast um but it's because we have this exploit, exploitative, you know, like wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, relationship with the earth. So the pandemic, uh, the the weather, the, the you know, the incredible weather patterns that we're having, uh, the the drought, the super storms, et cetera, the, the the fires, it all goes back to that relationship with the with the earth. So yeah, I would say that it's critically important, and that our own survival depends on that. It truly does. I, I resonate with that. And I, I feel, though, that we're so connected to Mother Earth, whether we admit it or not, that she feels all of our internal struggles. And I, 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 I kind of have a belief that, you know, if, if Mother Earth is, say, having a volcano or an earthquake, I think it's almost like a representation of what's happening on Earth internally in our minds and our hearts as humans, because we're all just this big collective working our problems out. And I think that when I think of a volcano, it's almost like mother earth releasing steam and it may not be her steam. It may be that yeah. the way that she's carrying us right. And, the, and how we treat each other, how we treat her, how we treat her, the animals. So I definitely resonate, resonate with that. And so speaking of COVID, how have the past two years been for you and your clients? What's changed? What, what's come about that? Well, I mean, talk about, Dramatic change. I've, I've been doing events, retreats, workshops for the last 30 years. Well, 32 now with, the, with not counting the pandemic. We're counting the pandemic. And all of a sudden, you know, my, my income came to a screeching halt. Um, and, you know, looking back on it, it's like it turned out to be a blessing. Like one, one in many levels, for, for one thing, it was an opportunity for me to, to see, engage how established I am in trust. Like even when my, when there was no income, like I never once, once went into fear or how I worried about how I was going to pay the bills. It's like, I, I knew that somehow I was going to be taken care of, that things were going to work out. And the other thing that it forced me to do is, well, two things. It, this book that we're talking about now, I've probably been brewing it, not working on it, but brewing it for the last 10 years since I had that, that realization but I was too busy. I was like always on the road. I, I went from 100,000 miles on, on an airplane a year to zilch. And so you know, flying from one retreat to another event, to a speaking engagement, to et cetera. And this kind of forced my butt down and, and I, I got it out of my head, uh, this book. And then the other thing that I, that I did that I was able to do is like I've known for years that I needed to create virtual programming. If I was going to reach people, you know, different parts of the world who may never come to one of my retreats and COVID forced my hand, I, I had to. And now I've got a, a year long coaching program that's having amazing results. Uh, people are people's lives are being profoundly changed, which, you know, which, which I was really happy to see. Uh, because I wondered about that for a while. Initially, uh, for me, it was just like a follow-up uh, for people that came to, came to the really profoundly transformational live you know retreats. But I see now that that because of of stretching out the teachings over the course of a year, um, it it makes it it makes the integration of the teaching more sustainable. 
Because what I, I did notice over the years that in some cases, you know, people would come to a weekend retreat and have this amazing life-changing experience. And if they didn't have a support system, something to keep them accountable, uh, some kind of spiritual practice when they went back home, it's, it's not hard to get sucked back into the distractions of life and the day-to-day -day responsibilities. And pretty soon, if, if we're not careful, the old voices of fear, self-doubt, the self-defeating behaviors, the self-sabotaging patterns, they start sneaking up again and dragging us down. And then they'd have to come do another retreat to get a booster. And, and I see that with a year long, it makes the transformation um, a whole lot more sustainable. Absolutely. And you know what I what I resonate instantly with what you said is these these challenges, these challenges that are happening to people, you can either look at it two ways that it's like it's the biggest enemy and the biggest hurdle or you look at it as, as an opportunity to be the alchemist in your life and yeah. look at it as an opportunity to grow and to see things that you may not have seen a different perspective and now look at you like yeah. I, I mean we're, we're using technology in my opinion of, of how it should be used to share our our love to share our wisdom and to connect with the world and not to try to control because that's really on the mainstream side of technology it, they do have this control mechanism of what you can say and they can cancel you now and you got to be careful but the truth of of this internet and this technology is to share and to connect exactly. with people that may not be able to connect with you in person and, and now look at the the effect so exactly and what i love look, before you before you ask me something else i want to just highlight something you said because i think it is so critically important and and that is that one thing we know for sure is that life is going to continue throwing curveballs our way that we can do nothing about you know, whether it's a, a pandemic or loss of a job or an illness or a divorce, anything can happen that we just are not going to see coming. And so, but what, what you're pointing us to, which is, which is a key to freedom and to empowerment, is that no matter what happened in the past and no matter what happens going forward, we can always, always choose how we're going to show up in response. So rather than feeling victimized by a situation like a pandemic or loss of a job, or like in my case, you know, just screeching halt of income, it's like, all right, well, what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? It's like, all right, well, here, here it is. It's an opportunity to write. Let me finish this book. And I've got to, I got to do this. I've got to create programming. And because of that, not only was I able to maintain my, my peace of mind and my equanimity, but lives are being touched now and impacted in, in a broader way. More lives. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, that, I, that really speaks to me deeply because, you know, it's happened to me too. I had to, I, I shifted from the old idea of a job into my own business and into serving people into into sharing because my of the pandemic, Greg. Well, that's actually like kind of what's similar for you is like, I was still comfortable in a job, but my heart wasn't in it. And it, it's really never been in it. And we made a joke about technology before we started our chat. But, you know, uh, the truth of, of the matter is, is that I, my heart is really in spirit. It's really in serving and, 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 just being better and sharing that and inspiring others. And we inspire each other and to open our own doors. I, I look at us as our own keys for each other. You know, I might be I a key that. for someone and you might be a key for someone and we, we're all shared keys and we can actually use that to like enhance our lives and as a community. So you must have seen. I love that. And how did the pandemic guide you to what you're doing now? Um, I was, I was, I've been on this path for about 10 years, but I was always sort of afraid to take that step. Right. Because the, the, the old left brain programming is like, well, or should you, are you ready? Are there going to be people there for you? And, you know, always that quiet little voice of uncertainty. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, then the greater spiritual side of me is like, do you really believe the things you're saying? Do you really believe the life that you're living? Then if you do, then you need to stop talking about it and make it happen. It's like, I always think about that scene from Indiana Jones where he steps across <laughs> Yes, that cavern yeah. and that, that that is the ultimate test of faith and yeah. i look at myself as like as that just if you have the faith then take the step trust in yourself yeah. and trust in the universe 
Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I actually have a clip of that that I use in retreats and workshops because <laughs> it is it is the best visual of yeah. of stepping into trust. Absolutely, and, and for you know, for many of the listeners who who may not know what we're talking about, is that scene where he's standing on the edge of a cliff, and the the chalices, uh, the Holy Grail, are on the other side of the of this deep endless chasm, and it's not until he realizes that, that he has to take a step into the void before the bridge or the or the stone shows up to meet his foot and and that's that's how spiritual process is we got to take that step and say yes and then the universe responds with the miracle i'm I'm literally getting shells all over my body and and once you take that step then the trust in yourself and the universe even just solidifies even further so that your next steps are going to be even more conscious and filled with like faith and love and light instead of being okay should i step here should i put my toe in you're going to take those steps with a surety yeah so you, exactly. you must have seen like i mean because you're you deal with a lot of clients you must have seen this is kind of where i want to get at the practicality of of how you've seen people shift in the past two years from their conscious like you know maybe their old behaviors to what the pandemic has forced them to do for example have you witnessed, you know, more healings and more people succeeding based off what they're thinking and feeling and willing to let go? Yes, I think I think for the majority of people, at least in my circles and granted, you know, most of the people in my circles are people who are on some kind of a path. And so I would say the, the far by far, the majority of them. Um, it's been transformational, it, you know, like maybe like a, either. And, you know, and, and not always in, the, in an easy way, like some relationships didn't make it, but that's what needed to happen. In other cases, relationships came together um, or, or resolve, you know, by being in that forced mandatory timeout, people were forced to work stuff out in their relationship. Um, and also by, by the forced mandatory timeout, it just heightened what wasn't working in some cases. So they made the choice not to stay together in that way. I think it also, well, I mean, I know that in, in many cases it, it, it clarified for people like sort of what you were talking about in your case where the way they realized, you know, what am I doing? Life is so ephemeral. Like who knows when my time is going to happen? Who knows what, when this whole thing, um, human experiment might come to an end. And so what am I doing? What am I doing with this beautiful, exquisite opportunity of a life? Um, and so in many cases I have seen people were, um, particularly those who felt that call to do something, who to do some, who knew like you did that that the job that they were in was sucking the very life force out of them, and that they knew somewhere deep inside that they had a calling, they had a mission to do more, to be more, to to be healers, to be teachers in this most critical time in the evolution of humanity. So a lot of them have said and are saying yes to that call. Well, Exactly. And, and, you know, that doesn't surprise me because, you know, I think there's something singing in each of us and, you know, it's up to us to really pay attention to this, to the song that we're hearing, or if we hear anything at all, if we're, if we're just being distracted by the noise of the outside world and our phones and social media and all the stuff, all the fear, because to me, that's just a distraction to sort of take you away from who you really are. Yeah, And this is the world that we yeah. live in. It's, it's like the most challenging time. Like you see, you're saying it's the most challenging time that's to ever have been a human is right now. And if we're, if we're being sort of oppressed to be something we're not, I think, you know, we, like you said, we do need those leaders. We do need those healers to show the way that, you know what, if I can do it, you definitely can do it. And I think through these acts of inspiration, we're going to sort of guide each other hand by hand into the next, to the true new world of, of love and liberation. And yeah, you know, it, I, we were talking it. earlier about the masculinity imbalance. So I was going to ask you, like, what do you think needs to transform there? You know, whether mm-hmm. you're a man or whether just the energy in general, how do we, where does that need to go for us to be in that new level? Yeah, I love that question because I, I think a lot about that. Um, and the book, you know, the book is for everybody because everybody's, we all struggle, no matter what kind of body we're in. We all struggle with issues around power power struggles when do we give our power away when do we say yes when inside we really feel no um when do when do we play small when do we sell out on our power 
um, and, and give away our innate inherent power that no one can give to us and no one can take away. We are the only ones who can give it away. And without minimizing the price that women have paid over the last, you know, several thousand years of the patriarchy, um, in some just horrible and horrifying ways, men have also paid a price for that. And so let's look at a couple of numbers. And, and so I added a whole chapter just on that. The, the book has a particular message for women, but I also added a chapter for men and what it means to be a man in the 21st century. And, and it, and it's, I think the way that we look at what it means to be a man needs some serious upgrading. Uh, like that software program needs some serious updating because it's, it's really dated and, and it doesn't serve anybody. Um, so let's look at a couple of numbers. Suicide rates in the U.S. Um, men commit suicide four times as frequently as women do. I'm sorry that I don't have the numbers for these for this globally. And and in fact, 70% of the suicides in the U.S. are committed by middle-aged white men, which you could say, you know, are still the group. I mean, I think it's pretty clear. It's the group that still holds the majority of the power in this world. And longevity-wise, in the U.S., women outlive men by five years. Globally, by seven years. So what's up with that? Shouldn't it be that the group that has the majority of the power have more benefits, a more privileged lifestyle, and therefore live happier and longer? Well, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to be that way, um, according to those uh, numbers. And, and then I ask myself, why is that? And I think part of it is because we have this this limited and limiting, uh, twisted misunderstanding of what it means to be a man, and and it begins in childhood. Little boys don't cry, um, and and the thing about because some somebody decided along the way that emotions are weakness, and the, and that the feminine is weakness because only little girls must cry. It's like, wait a minute, what faulty assumptions in that? You want to talk power, courage, resilience, strength. Let's talk about the power of creation that resides in a female body. And faulty assumption about the emotions. The emotions are in weakness. They're not strength either. They're not good. They're not bad. How we express them, depending on how we express them, they have a good or a not so good effect. What used to be spiritual teaching, that everything is energy, now we know. From, from quantum physics, that in fact, everything is energy. That includes this chair that I'm sitting on, the body, the emotion, even though it might feel like solid, it's vibration. And we know from physics that energy cannot be destroyed. So pertaining to the emotions for all the countless times that we have suppressed our emotions, because we didn't want to rock the boat. We wanted to maintain us a semblance, an illusion of peace. We hate conflict. We've been conditioned to avoid confrontation. We fear rejection. We fear abandonment. For all those reasons, we stuff our emotions. But guess what? They just don't go away just because we swallow them. They, they lodged in the body and, and, and they get stuck in there. And after a lifetime of doing that, we walk around with layers upon layers upon layers of repressed emotional crap. And here we are trying to have a relationship in the present moment. And all of it is getting filtered through that lifetime of repressed emotions and unhealed trauma. Yikes. Like, I don't even know how any relationship can work. I'm not surprised that 50% of marriages end up in divorce. More than that. What surprises me is that 100% don't. Because we haven't been taught how to hold them, how to approach our relationships. And we certainly haven't been taught how to empty ourselves, how to clear this, this cauldron of repressed emotions, which can only come out in one of two ways. Either we suppress, 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 and then the next unfortunate one comes by and says the wrong thing at the wrong time, and boom, volcanic eruption, causing harm to our relationships. Or suppress, 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 that energy has to come out one way or another. And it starts showing up in the body as physical symptoms, heart attacks, cancer, ulcers. And I think that helps to explain the difference in longevity with men 
because we walk around like these uncaring, unfeeling robots. We think that that's what it means to be a man. And there's a price to pay for that. Yeah, I think that's, you know, such a such a inauthentic image of that walking around like a alpha dog, you know, that we're, we're sort of being trained by TV and society that that's cool to be aggressive, to, you know, to fight, to be a violent. And it just like, it's so cringe for me now that it just like, you know, speaking of ulcers, I, I had an ulcer at 19 years old, like just basically mm. out of high school. And this thing basically terrorized me for three years. I'm like, why the heck do I have an, have an ulcer at, at 19? Well, because my emotions were like so out of whack. And, wow. you know, you, you have such a great point with like us carrying so much emotions with women and men. Um, and this is being now stored in our physical body. And mm -hmm. we're seeing ridiculous illnesses that, okay, well, this must be just in my DNA or this must be from uh, eating too many burgers. Yes, that may be, the, may be the case, but very likely too, you're holding a lot of emotion in there. And so you must have seen through your breath work some pretty amazing cases where people have probably released a lot of physical symptoms, physical illnesses through this yeah. modality. Yeah. Oh my God, oh, Greg, so many over the last 30 years, thousands of people that, you know, that have been so fortunate to facilitate this, this amazing life-changing experience of four. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I still don't know. I haven't come across anything that heals as quickly and as profoundly at so many levels. Um, and, and it works fast. Um, sometimes by bypassing the need to sit on somebody's couch, rehashing the same old crap. And with all due respect to psychotherapy, I, I come out of that tradition. My degrees in psychology. My dad was a psychiatrist. So, and with all due respect in the right hands, it can be incredibly supportive. And we all know that you can sit on somebody's chair office or somebody's couch for 5, 10, 20, 30 years rehashing the same old crap and nothing happens. The reason for that is that that trauma is no longer, you know, has been somaticized. So it's now, it now lives in the body. And so no amount of talking about it is going to get to it. So that's the, the beauty of a somatic practice like breath work that bypasses the mind and it actually goes to the source of where the trauma is living in the body and it clears it energetically. And yeah, I mean, so many, so many experiences that I can tell you and not only the experience, but the, the life changing effect once people release those suppressed emotions, it's, it's undeniable and humbling. And and let me tell you, like, I have a, so many stories that of emotional healing, mental, spiritual, and even physical, which is the hardest one to, to understand and to accept that from breathing, physical healings can happen. But here's, here's my favorite story. My, my teacher, the, the woman that I learned this practice from, when she was doing, doing it for the first time, she was doing a one-on-one -on -one session. And so there she was breathing, going to town. The woman was sitting behind her on the couch. Um, and at some point, she heard her snap, snap her fingers. For some reason, it triggered this memory she'd forgotten about. When she was five, she got into this argument with, with her dad. I forget what it was about. But she got into a huff, and she was going to run away from home. And she got on her little bike and started pedaling away. And she hit something, fell over, and broke her nose. It was black and blue for three weeks. At the end of the session, she turned to the woman and she said, wow, how did you know to snap your fingers at that moment? It was incredible timing. It triggered this, this realization, this memory that I've forgotten. Uh, that, and, and then I made all these connections um, about how that experience had impacted my relationship with men throughout my life and my ability to trust them. And the woman was like, I, I never snapped my fingers. So as they kept on talking, what they figured out she'd heard was the cracking of the bone. And the next day at 45, so 40 years later, she got up in the morning and looked in the mirror, black and blue all over again, right around, you know, under her eyes over and her nose. Not for three weeks, like the original injury, but for a few days while the body healed itself and let go of, of, of that released energy. And how does that, how does that happen? Just from breathing, it still uh, humbles me and boggles my mind, but it works. And I can't argue with results. It works. 
and you must have seen countless results, like you said. So it's like for you, it just uh, cemented into your truth. And I oh think that, God. you know, when, when people hear conversations like this and they haven't experienced something like this, we have to like, you know, remain open to these experiences for us. Like, oh, that that can happen to somebody else. That, ha- that can happen to me. I, I don't experience that kind of stuff. Well, I believe that what we believe creates our reality. So if we're at least open to these things happening, we're given the potential for these things to happen. And then when it happens to you, you're going to now be solidified in your experience. And so it creates this like wave of momentum of, of healing mm-hmm. around that person. So that, you know, that woman probably around her was just a beautiful energy being, you know, just released from her and people are feeling it at her work and around her. So it, it's just beneficial for everybody. And I look at the universe, like the universe is a breath, right? We're like, we're, I consider we're on the out breath of of the universe. And so the universe is like such a great teacher. And I I love that. I love that visual because it's a really profound visual. You know, they haven't studied breath work yet. They're starting to do it now in the same way that they've studied meditation and what happens in the body and the mind and performance at work. There's a lot of research on meditation and, and the benefits of it. They, we don't really understand what's happening in the body when we breathe in this way. There's, there's different theories about that. Um, but here, here's what helps me understand it. It's, and it's more from a psycho-spiritual perspective. In most spiritual traditions throughout the world, and even in, in several secular languages, one word, the same word, can mean spirit or breath. So think about pneuma. In ancient Greek, which meant lung, you know, we, from, from that word we get pneumonia, it meant lung and soul. Uh, from the Latin root spirare, we get both respiration and inspiration or expiration. And on and on and on. In Hawaiian, ha um, means both spirit and breath. And so for me, ultimately, that's, that's what's going on. Because that the breath, when we think about it, is our longest, our most loyal our most faithful companion on, on this journey of, of embodiment. Amazing. And I was just talking to someone about this and, you know, if you watch a baby, a fresh baby being born and how they breathe and as they get, you know, into, you know, their adulthood, their breath just shortens into probably just the bare minimum of what their body needs this you know, tiny little breath. And if you watch a baby's stomach, the stomach just fills with air. Like yeah. you know, just a nice natural rhythm with, with the universe. They're, they're in tune. And then we slowly yeah. get pulled out of tune. So most of us are just walking around just these shallow little breaths before we yeah. even realize that we're not even taking, our bodies aren't even getting enough. They're just getting the bare minimum. So if you bare get minimum. more than it needs, that's why I, I think healing is bound to happen. It's the most primitive thing that we are in this. It's part of spirit. It's a part of the universal, universal breath. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And I know it's done wonders for me. I know one time I was sitting, I was just practicing taking, taking deep breaths for, I don't know, about 20, 30 minutes. And my whole body was vibrating. Like yeah. I, yes. I was just, I was almost in almost too much. I had to stop, but I just yes. felt so much energy <laughs> flowing through my body that yeah. I know that there was something happening, that, that healing was happening there. And so yeah, if I we can exactly. actually remember to do that, can you imagine? Yes. You know, I know exactly what you mean. I can't tell you how often people who come to breathe with me will, with me will say, that they access some of the same incredible expanded states of consciousness of, of oneness that they did with, you know, sacred plant medicine journeys. Um, so that you can access some of those same really expanded states of being just using your breath. And, and yeah, you're right to get to those places. You have to do it for, for a long time. The practice that I do is like an hour, an hour and a half. There are other practices, breathwork techniques that go longer, like three, four hours, but even, even if we just remember to bring consciousness to the breath, it's a good thing we don't have to remember to breathe because probably a lot of us would forget. <laughs> but to bring consciousness to it is, is key because if you think about it, what happens when we get into, into an upset or when we're, you know, that argument is about to go south or we're stuck in traffic, we, we stop breathing. That's the first thing that goes is the breath. We, 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 we start either we start taking those shallow, really shallow breath or we start breathing all together. And, and that's what anchors all those energies in the body. So if, if we can develop the practice to remember to breathe consciously, 
And especially when we're having an emotional, powerful, emotional experience, if you breathe in that moment, they don't, it doesn't have to get anchored. We just can flow right through us and it doesn't have to get anchored and stuck in our body. Exactly. And that probably happens by natural programmation now is that we just, something happens at work, someone yells at us. We just naturally, instead of doing the opposite of what we should do to heal, taking deep breaths, we do the shallow breaths and then we just push it down further to the next layer. And so if we can remember, if we're driving around, if we're sitting in our car, if we're just sitting and having a coffee, just spend a few minutes and just do some deep breaths and watch how your mind starts to clear. Life-changing. That simple practice is life-changing. And if I can guide, I know we don't, we don't have a whole lot of time to dive you know, deeply into this, but I, I do have it. My TEDx talk is on the power of the breath. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for anybody who's more interested in this breathing stuff and, and the sacredness of the breath is like, I refer them to that. I'll make sure to share that link in the podcast notes. Oh, that sounds thank really you. interesting. Yeah. And so, you know, it, if you could just do one practice and and you don't even have to call it spiritual if you just do the breath work you know five minutes a day watch what happens around you and and i always say to my my listeners is you know become the experiment of your life instead of you know it's great to read books it's great to get some new information but we need to apply that in a practical way for ourselves and so let's let's use these guideposts these signposts of you know these great authors these great leaders these spiritual people and Put it in a way that we can now practically understand. And then that way it enforces it, it enforces it in, in our lives and becomes a natural habit, right? Because you're going to want to do this now because you've now seen the result. Oh, I have my energies increased at least double. I know that when I was younger, I had the energy of like a 95 year old on, you know, like I, I'd have maybe 20 minutes of energy a day. I'd just be on the couch and I was just programmed to you know, eat whatever I just eat to the max, yeah. you know, stuff myself to the max and throw on TV and keep piling yeah. plates of food on and taking shallow little breaths, not exercising. And you know what? I don't hold myself against that. There was a lesson there and there's lessons in all the things that we do. But now that I've actually watched myself grow using these practices, that's why I'm so confident in what I say. That's why you're so confident in what you say, because no one could ever say, well, what, what you do doesn't work, Christian. Sorry. I mean, is that going to change the way you think about anything? No, of course. course. I mean, they can say it as much as they want to. I know it works because I experienced it not only in my own personal life, but in having witnessed it thousands of times. So I can't, I can't argue with the results. And and even if my logical, scientific, more skeptical mind doesn't really like when I hear these words coming out of my mouth about how powerfully it heals just from breathing, and and what ecstatic states you can have just from breathing. It's like, I know it sounds too good to be true, but I can't argue with it. It works. It works. And it's so simple and it's so accessible. It really is. And, you know, your, your soulful breathwork sounds really, really interesting. So if people are interested in that, is there a website they can visit and, and, and go check you out? Like, is this something that yeah. you do online? Did you expand this into an online concept or is it still in, like, is it in person? Now, that's a really perceptive question uh, because it is so powerful. And, I've, and because I've, I've seen people relive some really intense stuff like li- in live events, I have no hesitation. I know and I'm completely confident in handling it virtually. Not so much. Right. There's just there, my ability to support and intervene is limited. So virtually, I only work with people who, who have done retreats with me before, who have worked with me in the past people who've been referred by a therapist or a coach. So I know they have a support system back home um, or in my year long program after, you know, probably four or five months, once I have a sense of who's in the group and what kind of stuff they're dealing with, what's lying under the surface of, of their psyches, then I will do it virtually, but I wouldn't do it with a stranger, somebody I didn't know off the street. I completely understand. Yeah. So going to your, your, Switching gears a bit and going to your... your oh, but I forgot head. to give you the website. Sorry. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah sorry. My, yeah, the best way to reach me is soulfulpower.com. And let me spell okay. that. S-O-U-L-F-U-L, power, P-O-W-E-R.com. And for your audience, um, Greg, anybody who goes to soulfulpower.com and who signs up for my email list, and, and we all know if, you, if it doesn't work for you down the road, just click on subscribe. No big deal. But anybody who does will send them a sample chapter of this book. 
and one that talks about what it means to live heroically, a heroic life in the 21st century, because whether we can accept it or not, there is a hero inside each one of us. And, and that's part of what the book talks about, too. How do we unleash that that inner hero? Um, and that's the name of my of, of my Facebook group as well. So we'll send them a, a sample chapter. We'll send them some power practices, some questions that are triggered to and practices that they can take on to make sure that these concepts don't stay at the level of information. We don't need more information. We've got information overload. Like it's overwhelming how much information we have access to these days because of the, the blessing of the internet. But what we need is transformation. And that only comes from really living, really integrating whatever teachings it is that we're working with. And so, so that's what those practices are designed to do. And we'll also send them a, a recorded short teaching on a guided meditation about moving into trust. So going back to that image of, of Indiana Jones, how do we move into trust in these times of chaos and fear and uncertainty? Right. I love it. And I'll be sure to include all that information in, in the podcast notes as well. So uh, if you don't remember that, don't worry, we'll have that uh, as a clickable link. Oh, beautiful. So, Thank you. Yeah. Just, and, and so just to switch gears a bit to go back to your book, you know, I love the title of your book, Soulful Power. What does that mean? Soulful Power. Well, that goes back to what we were talking about before that, that most of us have a conflicted, ambivalent relationship to power. Part of us wants it. Part of us is afraid of it. And I think what we fear is that if we really stepped into our power, if we really bead all of who we are, that other people wouldn't be able to handle it and that we might end up rejected alone. And who wants that? I think we also fear that we might abuse it. And no wonder. All we got to do is turn on the news any given day to witness at least one abuse of power. And add to that the fact that we've been conditioned to believe that power is a bad thing. You know, with quotes like power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And who wants to be corrupted? But what they didn't tell us about that quote is that Lord Acton, the one who spoke those words, was speaking specifically about political power, not personal power, which is what you and I are talking about. So when you add to the mix what we were saying before about that we've been conditioned to run away from the emotions, we hate conflict, we, we've turned the emotions into weakness, what happens is that we give our power away. And again, that, that innate power that's ours that nobody can give to us and nobody can take away. We are the only ones who give it away. And, and what's most tragic, what is saddest to me is, is the reasons for which we give it away. How many times have we said yes when inside it really wasn't okay with us? How many times have we stuffed ourselves into small little packages out of fear? Your fear of conflict, fear of, of rejection, fear of abandonment, all, all these fears that, that we have allowed to govern our lives and to influence our behavior. And, and, and so we settle. We play small and we settle for morsels of life or crumbs of pseudo love. We, we settle for an illusion of security and for a false sense of acceptance. And, and so what the book talks about is like, all right, that's not a good strategy. How can we do this in a different way? How can we step into power in a way that's not about hierarchy, control, fear, force, domination, and all those things? How do we do it in a way that is a match for the innate goodness that's in our hearts? How do we do it without the need to push somebody down, step on them in order to, for us to feel powerful? And so one of the first steps on that journey is realizing that we, we, there's different kinds of power. So I talk about worldly power, the way that the world relates to power or ego power. And I talk about soulful power or spiritual power. And so most of us, when we think of power, we, you know, what do we associate it with? People who are famous or, or they're, they have money, um, they, they're, they're high up in some kind of hierarchy, whether it's the, the corporate ladder or some other kind of institution. But the thing about all those kinds of powers, because they're outside of us, here today, gone tomorrow. Whereas, and, and, and that kind of power, that worldly power, is also 
it always has an agenda. So it's always trying to grab something from it for itself. And it's self-aggrandizing. So it's blowing itself up to seem bigger and more powerful than it is. In contrast with soulful power or spiritual power, which is that power that we all have access to, that nobody can take away from us, but that we are the only ones who give it away. And that's humble. And it's not about having an agenda. It's about self. It's about service and making a difference. And it's humble. It doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. So I think about a Gandhi or a Gandalf, if you're into the Lord of the Rings, in their simple monastic robes, their sandaled feet. You never know how much power they hold until it's called for. And then get out of the way. Gandhi brought the British Empire to its knees when it was at its highest point in terms of global reach and influence without ever shooting a gun or landing a single punch. Now, that's power. Wow, that's, uh, that was an amazing response. Thank you so much. I'm just sitting here reeling in, in that uh, absolute truth. That's so powerful. Um, you know, and that brings my thought to, you know, us being integral to ourselves. I don't know if, if this, if you feel there's a connection here, but I used to not have so much integrity as I do now. And cause I, you know, I didn't see myself as the hero and the way, the way you describe that, you know, we're all heroes in, in our, our own journey and we yeah. can play whatever role we want. And I feel that I was just playing the role of whatever, just get through it, whatever. And so I would just say things to people and tell people what they want to hear people pleaser and with, all the while giving my power away. And so yeah. like I felt my subconscious was no longer supporting me. If I want to actually do something, things would just disintegrate. I couldn't get them something done. My body wouldn't cooperate. And once I started aligning that integrity to myself, like I'm going to start drawing boundaries up. I'm going to start saying no. I'm going to start, you know, doing things I say I'm going to do. And if I can't do them, I'm going to say no. And then everything right. started to change. Yeah. Do you think that's yeah. a part of the hero's journey? Yes, it's huge. It's integral. Um, and so it's, you know, the same word, integrity, integral. If we think about that word, you know, so integrity, like we're not talking about it for like in a moral, moralistic sort of way about something being right, you know, right or wrong. It's to integrity. If we think about it, comes from the word integer, which means whole, whole number. And so that's what integrity to me is about is, is, is being whole, being healed. It's about stopping suppressing and, and rejecting entire parts of who we are in order to, 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 to be validated or to feel accepted. Um, because you're right. It's, it's that, that which we've all done, you know, put on masks and, and behave this way at work. And we, we act this other way at home and this way with our parents and this way with our partners and our lovers. It's exhausting. To, to, to be so many different ways with so many people, how much more simple and how much more energy do we save when you, we just get to be who we are, wherever we are. Like, oh my God, it's so much simpler and it's so liberating. And always with choice, it doesn't, mean, doesn't of course mean that we don't have to share every aspect of our lives in different settings. No, of course not. We always retain choice of over what to share with whom. Um, but, but that... When we get to that place, um, of which I think it's part of that hero's journey in each of our lives, where we, we just get to be who we are, that's when we start taking a deep breath. And, and that's when self-acceptance becomes possible, which then opens the door for self-love. And, and by the way, I know about this stuff, like my entire, and, and this is not something I read in a book or learned about in a workshop, in a retreat. Like I've lived this stuff. My, my entire adolescence was one long depression with suicidal fantasies. Flash forward to today. And no matter what happens in my life, no matter the details, the circumstances, whether a relationship works out or it doesn't, whether a project succeeds or it fails, never Ever, ever do I question my self-worth. My, my sense of self is established and unshakable. And that's what I want for everybody because I know that if it happened in me, it can happen for anybody. And yeah, it's not easy. It's not going to happen overnight. And it is a heroic journey because it takes courage 
to to dive inside and to face ourselves and and to and to face our inner demons, our doubts, our fears. Yes, it takes work. Yes, it is heroic, but it is so worthwhile because the reward for it is, for it is in one word, freedom. Freedom to be who we are and and relationships that have a chance of working. So rather than being governed by by unhealed, repressed stuff from our pasts, a sense of empowerment, a life that is filled with meaning, with purpose. So yeah, the heroic journey is like I not I cannot recommend it highly enough. Do it. It's worth it. And and I, I love that. And you know, not just living your full life every day. I know I used to be living for the weekend only. All right, it's Friday, it's Saturday, cool. Those are the days to uh, go out and party and stuff. And then Monday to Friday were well during the day we're just work. And so like yeah. not 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 just enjoying, just enjoying two days out of the week. So not being present. Yes. And I wonder like you, you like something keeps coming to mind about this this hero's journey. And I wonder on the collective level, do you think this is why we're seeing such a obsession? with the modern day superhero movies. Yes, I think that's part of it. And I think we can connect it to the pandemic as well. Because um, if we think about it, we when we thought about the word hero, I think most of us, we would think about what you're saying about a superhero with, you know, the cape and that three-point landing. Um, maybe, we, maybe we would include in that word hero a, a warrior, a first responder, you know, people who, who place their lives at risk for the sake of a cause or some, someone else. Then the pandemic, you know, kind of we, because of the pandemic, we expanded that definition of heroism. Now we include our, our medical professionals, our doctors, our nurses, our respiratory therapists, a lot of whom, you know, gave up their lives to, to keep the rest of us going and alive. And I would even include, you know, delivery people and grocery store clerks, you know, who also made huge sacrifices in order to keep society going and the rest of us fed and provided for. And then that begs the question, what about the rest of us? And I don't think any of us is off the hook. Because, you know, there are days, Greg, as you, as you know, well know that getting out of bed and even if we're just moving to the couch is a heroic thing, right? Because life can be really tough and really challenging. And the way that, that the book talks about living heroically, where, you know, which is so easy to react and to splatter somebody against the wall when they did or said something that hurt us. Anybody can do that. To, to take a deep breath and to go, ouch, that hurt. And then choose rather than that old and boring reaction that has gotten us into so much trouble. Take a pause and choose. How do I want to be? How do I want to show up in the situation so that I get off this boring merry-go-round of they do this, I do that. They do this, I do that. They say this, I say that, uh, 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 which we've done a thousand times. And it never ends up well. To, to reel back our judgments, our projections to, onto other people, to, to not take things personally, um, to, it, I mean, to, to take the higher road in, in an argument. These things, and, and of course, we're not talking about suppressing our emotions and becoming a doormat. On the contrary, we're talking about a heroic journey of personal empowerment and expression. But to bring choice back into the equation, to, to, to refuse to be victimized by life, like we were talking about before in relationship to the pandemic, to say, all right, well, that sucked. And I'm really sorry that it happened. And I wish it hadn't. And what am I going to do about it? How am I going to show up in response to that? That's nothing short of heroic. And, and yes, there's a hero inside each one of us. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. I love that very, very much. And, you know, what, what I'm finding when I, when I look at sort of the mainstream world, I, I'm, I'm not one to watch news. Uh, I don't really watch things that are 99% fear. And, you know, what you're saying was, was earlier was like, you know, instead of being a reactory and just being caught up in that, you need to be right. Because if you watch TV, if you watch news, if you watch what society is trying to teach young people, people yeah. in general, is to be defensive, to stand up, to fight, yeah. to don't to don't take nothing. And 
it's the opposite of like not taking things personal. So that's why yeah. like I'm, I consider myself a pretty, a silly guy. And I consider that one of my best attributes because being silly and fun, I don't take things personally. I laugh at myself. If I do something silly or drop something or break something, I laugh at myself and say, oh my goodness, you silly guy. Like, and, and truly mean it. Whereas some people take <laughs> themselves so seriously and you'd be like, yeah. oh, you idiot. You're, you're an idiot. And we're yes. just reacting from the same pattern, that same place mm -hmm. of fear. And society, yeah. I find, is is really supplementing that and encouraging this behavior. Yeah. And I think society, this is, the, yeah. society feeds off of that. And, and that is, helps to explain the, the polarization that we see in the world. And, and, and part of it is, I and mean, we can't just blame it on society, that self-righteousness is wired into each one of us. We, we've all been through that. And, and we all have that inner judge, that harsh inner critic, harsh inside of our heads. I mean, that's what the ego is. That's one of the expressions of the ego. The things that we tell ourselves inside of our heads, we would never say to anybody else. We are so cruel. That ego is so cruel. And so that's why in, you know, in every one of my workshops, there, there are two constant denominators that no matter what the theme is, I always do. One is breath work, because again, I don't know anything that heals as quickly and as profoundly. The other thing is always teach the ego. And I spent probably the first quarter of the book helping people understand what the ego is, how the mind works, and why we do the things we do. Because if we don't, I mean, that's the first step. Self-awareness. We can't do anything about what we can't see. So that's what the first part of the book is about. And then we can do something about it. Then we can start thinking about power in a different way. And we can start observing ourselves. And and, and what you're talking about, the, the way that you're, that ability to laugh at yourself, that's a symptom of the heroic journey, right? That lets us know how much work you've done because you're able to not take things so seriously and not take things so personally. And And just because something doesn't work out doesn't mean we're a failure. Exactly. And in fact, like if we really look at it, there there is nothing in life that's a failure. As long as we're learning from it and becoming better human beings because of it, it doesn't matter whether it worked out or it didn't. As long as we're growing, that's why we're here, to grow and to fulfill that unique human potential that nobody else can but us. Well said. I, I love that so much. Um, so I, I started hearing a ringing in my ear. As you were talking, <laughs> I, I get a lot of these spiritual symptoms as well when I'm, uh, when we're doing certain things. And, uh, so I know we're speaking a very high vibrational truth. It's, um, you know, it's one thing to, you know, to just have the idea, like you said, to just have the information, but it's another thing to actually practically apply it. And that, that takes courage. That takes, you know, gentleness, because like you said, our, yes. we're, we're so trained to be so tough on ourselves and that like how do you break a cycle if you're tough on yourself and yeah. you don't have the courage to break out of that because maybe there's something out in your outside world that says maybe i don't have a, a seemingly support system uh, a, yeah. a family that supports me a job that supports me so how do we break out of that from that yeah. old pattern that old ego that ways yeah. you know to, to find our true self and that is like the hero's journey take that first step yes right and, and Bingo, you'll be, that's it stuff of heroes and it's people and when i find like i do i know this to be true when you are in, in search of a teacher when you're in search of a healing you will find it no question it's no like you question. can't you can't be like oh where's this person where are they i can't find them. i don't know where they are but it's it's like if you just be there if you just be it will just appear when the timing is perfect. I've seen it a million times myself already. I just, it's funny. My God, so many times. And it's like that image of Indiana Jones. Yeah. Right. When we say yes, when we let the universe know that we're ready for more, that we're ready for growth, that we've had it with doing it the old way that just, we've had it. It just doesn't work. Like we're done with the pain and the suffering. Um, and, and with relationships that, that all seem to work out the same way, that sometimes they feel like it's the same boring movie. The co-lead is different. There's a different actor, but it's the same old crap, same old arguments, same old issues. At some point, we got to get honest and, and realize that, hey, there's one common denominator in every one of those relationships, in every one of those arguments. And yeah. it's right here. 
Right. So, so that's what begins to, to, when we hit those points of like, I've had enough, that's what, that's what makes possible, opens the door for that hero's journey. And as soon as we say yes to that call for more, then that's when those, those stones show, start showing up, those magic, because we don't have a, the language for it. We call it magic. We call yeah. it miracles, stuff yeah. that we just can't understand or explain how it works. But yeah. that, that it exists and that it happens in this way, I have no question because I've been living it for so long, for, for many, many years. And I know that's how it works. Not only are you the actor in your life's play, you're, you're also the director. You're the writer. <laughs> exactly. You're the producer. And it's exactly. like the sooner we can realize that, the sooner we can actually rewrite the movie of our life. Exactly. That, do we want to change it? Are we, do we like what's happening? Are we going to continue to, to play that part? Or do we want to write a new role for ourselves? Yeah. And, 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 and that were you just saying in a different way, what, what, what you said earlier, what I was highlighting before, it's popping out of that victim mode, right? That yeah. victim mentality, poor me, woe is me. If only yeah. I'd been born at a different time in a different place. If only mm-hmm. mom had, 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 you know, hadn't left or if, if only dad hadn't done this or the teacher, the minister, society, uh, sexism, yeah. misogyny, racism, homophobia, if only things were different. And, and not to deny that the system is set up unfairly, it is. But at some point, right, as long as we stay stuck in that what if and, and if only, um, we're, gonna, we're, we're giving our power away. As long as we're holding someone or something responsible for our state of being, for our happiness, we're, we're giving our power away. And so at some point, what what you're saying is like, hey, we got to realize like, you know what, no matter what happened, even if it sucked and I really wish it hadn't happened and no matter what happens, because life is going to continue throwing curveballs, we get to choose how we're going to show up. And that alone, that slight reframe pops us out of that victim mindset. Beautiful. How, how, you know, I, I resonate so deeply with this, but I'm trying to connect with somebody that this is a new path for them. This is somebody that, you know, is open to this stuff, but you know, when they look out in the world, when they're looking for, perhaps they're looking for a job or they're trying to go to school and they're like, you know, for me, when I, th- when I go do that, I just have pure stomach ache. I, like, I'm just like, Ooh, I'm like, this is heavy. So somebody out there that's, you know, when they look into the world to try to find their place in it, you know, it can be so daunting and so yeah. crippling. How yeah. can someone, like find that balance into like finding themselves internally at the same time walking the path that is our modern world. That's so such a beautiful and, and profound question. And yeah, it's a, it's a heroic path. It's the stuff of heroes to go through life consciously. Anybody can, can numb out, right? We, we run away. We are so brilliant at numbing ourselves out and not feeling, to run away from our emotions, from whether it's all of the emotions, whether it's pain or anger or, or even joy. Um, and, and whether we numb out with substances or food or drugs or alcohol or sex or social media or gaming or workaholism or exercise, all of it we can use to numb out and not feel, to run away from ourselves, to be willing to pause and to feel um, and to look at ourselves and to dive within and to ask the hard questions, right? Who am I? And, and what works for me? What doesn't work for me? What do I like? What don't I like? Um, and to then begin to, to put those boundaries into place that you were, you were talking about to develop the sense of self that allows us to, to not depend on external validation and to be able to say no when it doesn't work for us. It's a, it's a heroic journey. And, and it begins with, you know, going within, going within self-awareness. Like we were saying before, we can't do anything about what we can't see. If we don't see the patterns or what triggers us, then we're just going to be reacting, going through life buffeted by other people who sometimes even have less of a clue than we do. Like what a way to live in, in, in the power, in the hands of, circumstances over which we have no control and people who have, don't even have a clue um, as to why they do the things we, they do or believe the things that they believe. And so, yeah, it's a journey and, and again, heroic. And it begins by going within and use the breath. 
use the breath. It's, it's gonna, it's gonna help you navigate fear. Like when you start feeling that anxiety, that worry, pause, right? Rather than do that automatic reaching for, for the, the cigarette or, or the text or, or social media or, or the drink or the, or the pint or of, of Ben and Jerry's or whatever it is, pause. You know, the pint of Ben and Jerry's will be there in 10 minutes, in five minutes. But just take advantage of that moment. And rather than run away from the feeling, go into it. What am I feeling? Right? And what am I feeling under that? Because I promise you, if you go into it under anger, there's always other stuff. There's a, there's a sense of feeling attacked or not seen, not worthy, um, feeling defensiveness. Um, so, but we, and again, by being willing, by doing the courageous act of diving within, it's like we free ourselves and we empower ourselves. Wow. Thank you for that. I uh, definitely <laughs> felt that in my heart. Um, absolutely brilliant. I know that we're coming up to our, uh, our, our time. And so I just want to say, uh, do you have any words that you'd like to share with the audience before we say goodbye? I mean, that's hard, <laughs> to, hard, hard to finish after what you did, but if there's anything extra, please, please yeah, feel free. I think if anybody's listened, stayed around this long, they've heard plenty of words from me. <laughs> I just want to say, you know, just do it. It's, it's worth it. Promise you. Promise you it's worth it. Um, and if they need support, you know, reach out to me, reach out to you. There's so many people right now that are on the same journey or, you know, the details are different, but it's that same journey of self-discovery and self-empowerment. You don't have to do this alone. Um, and that's the benefit of doing, you know, even, even joining a Facebook group or, you know, joining a year long coaching program, whatever it is, you don't have to do it alone. Get some support and get some accountability partners. Um, you know, people that are going to keep you doing what you said you would do. Um, and thank you. I mean, thank you to the audience for sticking around this long and, and for being willing to do this, this heroic journey that we've been talking about, for be, being willing to do this work of transformation. Um, and thank you, uh, Greg. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for, for having the show to begin with. In your willingness to have the show, many lives are being touched and impacted. So thank you, because I agree with you. We're, we're all interconnected. And what any one of us does has an impact, a ripple effect sometimes we cannot even imagine. So thank you. Thank you. Wow. Um, hard, to, hard to finish up with that. But uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you so much uh, to Christian. It's been an absolute honor having him here. Um, I hope you all enjoyed it as well. And just for everyone's uh, curiosity, I will be leaving all of his links in the podcast notes below. So again, Christian, thank you very much. Mm -hmm.